Welcome to the Creators Adventure, where we interview creators from around the world hearing their stories about growing a business. My name is Brian McAnulty. I'm the founder of Heights Platform, and today I'm talking with Jasmine Jante about how to create an online course that gets your customers results, how to keep your audience engaged in that course, and if course completion rate is really as important of a metric as some might think. Hey everyone, we're here today with Jasmine Jante, the founder of JJ Coaching and Consulting, and she helps experts create their world-class programs and online courses. Her done-for-you course creation agency takes care of everything from organizing ideas to launching a digital product that engages and sells. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So my first question for you today is if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started in your online business. Yeah, so we have a done-for-you course creation agency, uh, which, as you mentioned, takes care of everything from the big picture promise and, and program outline down to the last thumbnail that gets uploaded into the course platform. And uh, I, for for a a while before this, I was doing my own programs. Like I was launching my own programs. I was teaching. My students got like crazy good, unheard of results. But I kept hitting, like I called it the scale wall. <laughs> you know, I'd build a program and try to scale it and then couldn't make it happen and build a new program and try to scale it and couldn't make it happen. And so I was building all these programs, all these masterminds and eventually said sometime in the middle of 2020, it was like enough. Like we're going to shut this puppy down. And in the space that was created, I had conversations. I thought, what really lights me up? What really gets me going inside of business? And I learned that it was actually building the program that I liked the most, which is why I could never scale anything. Because once I got out of that genius zone of creating really great content, I would just fall flat. The business would fall flat. So I pivoted into doing this for other people using my background in teaching and instructional design but also the savvy of launching my own programs and knowing what it takes to have an offer sell, uh, which landed us here. And now I'm really blessed. I love what I do every day. Uh, love building programs. Love my team that helps me build programs. And we're just on this mission to help a million, a million students right, get results through the programs that we co-create with our experts. Awesome. I think that's such a, a great solution, actually. Um, because definitely I've noticed there are creators out there who they really just enjoy that process of building everything. Um, but eventually you have to find out, well, how can you really turn that into a business? And the way you did that for yourself is, uh, by, uh, allowing yourself to focus on that part that you enjoy the most. So, um, mm -hmm. that's a really great solution. Thanks. Yeah. And it's so, it's so curious how a lot of our clients, they come to us because, they are an expert. They've done something for so long. They have such a vast array of knowledge. I always say to them, like, you probably have like 15 or 20 courses in you. And so the challenge becomes then, okay, well, out of everything I know, what do I really need to put inside this program to get my students results? It's not so much throwing everything in there. It's like the smallest amount of content that they need to get the, the program transformation, that promise. So, um, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a mistake I think people uh, 
make often that they think, well, my uh, course has to be the longest and that's going to make it more valuable. Um, yes. But really, you want it as short as possible to get the person to mm -hmm. that specific result. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So um, actually, earlier on our show, on a previous episode, we had the pleasure to interview your boyfriend, Brad Hart. And we noticed on your website, you mentioned that um, originally he was your coach. Is that how you guys met? Or can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we did. That was how we met. I was referred to him because I was building these mastermind programs at the time and was trying to figure out the scale thing. <laughs> and so I, I was like, who's my mastermind mentor? I was looking specifically for a mastermind mentor. Um, and someone got me connected to Brad. And I hired him and we worked together for over a year, completely platonic. I thought he was a total nerd. I mean, he is a total nerd. So I was totally right to think that. Uh, and we were both single, but it didn't even cross either of our minds because it was, we were in this lane of, he's my coach. I'm his, you know, his client. And that's, it didn't even cross our minds. Uh, and then we, I like bought the upsell. So I hired him for longer. And part of the upsell was an in-person mastermind. And this was like the last contractual piece that he was obligated to provide. So we are on day one of this mastermind retreat and he pulls me aside at lunch and he says, so just so you know, like our contract's now complete, you're completely paid up, like now we can just be friends. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, what the heck, man? You're firing me? Like you're fired, like you don't want my money anymore? Like what the heck? Why would you do that? Like that doesn't, I'm your testimonial. I'm your case study. Like I'm the one you tell everyone about. Like, why would you fire me as a client? So I was very confused for about six hours because that night he asked me out. <laughs> and uh, so it kind of became clear. Oh, okay. That's why you had that conversation because you wanted to be in integrity when you asked me out later that night. And it, I got to tell you, Brian, like it was really weird in the beginning because we had been for over a year now in this space of like, you know, he's my coach and I hire him and I'm, a, you know, I'm his client. Um, but we went out and it wasn't even like we hit it off off the bat. It was truly like our values are aligned. We want the same things in life. We have a, the same kind of lifestyle. Um, we're we have this really solid foundation of friendship and it just made sense. It just, that was truly all. It was just like, okay, well this makes sense. He was looking for his life partner. I was looking for my life partner. And it just kind of happened that way. Um, and what's really fascinating is that was in January of 2020. Mm. So, you know, we, and I was living in Virginia, he was living in California. So completely separate sides of the country. We met up again in February. Um, and then like March hit, and it wasn't quite pandemic yet. It was like right in that kind of pre-pandemic period. And he was like, just come to California, stay for a couple weeks, you know, like let's let's just see where this thing goes. And I'm like, okay. And then the pandemic hit during that like a couple week trip. And he said, just move in. Just because we don't know where this is going. So like just move in. So in a 48-hour trip, I flew back to Virginia, got my dog, got as much stuff as I could take on an airplane, flew back, and we've been together ever since. So we kind of caught, we're in the uh, 
the personal development world of like immersion events. We've done a lot of Tony Robbins, a lot of Brendan Burchard, a lot of like these events. And so we just said, okay, well, immersion events work for us. So let's try immersion dating. And here we are, you know, two and a half years later. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Uh, I My wife and I always feel very fortunate of how it worked out for us with the, uh, the whole pandemic situation because we actually got married in uh, 2019 and uh, she's actually from Hong Kong. So we had uh, visas and stuff like that we had to take care of. And we feel so grateful that all that got settled before the pandemic. Otherwise, like it would have been crazy. I can only imagine uh, people who have had to been had to have been uh, completely separated from their partner for so long. So, yeah, well, I mean, and we feel the same way. We're like, well, if it happened, it happened in the pandemic. But it was either make it or break it. Like we were going to know real fast whether or not this was going to work out. Yeah, true. Cool. So in your business, you have what looks like uh, three main types of offers. Uh, You have the VIP day, done with you course creation, and done for you course creation. Can you tell us a little bit more about like which one of these is really your core offering and what exactly would that include? Most of most people come to us for done for you. So we're typically booked like eight to 12 weeks out to start done for you projects. Uh, and I think it's because not a lot of people do it um, because it's so much work. Like you're all, all the people listening, you guys know, like if you've ever done a course before, you know, it takes at least a hundred hours just to put together a five module course, like easy. By the time you plan out the lessons and put it on slide decks if you want slide decks, do the video editing, pull together any workbooks or worksheets, deliverables, upload it into the platform. Like it takes so much time. And so a lot of our clients, they come to us because they have a business of some sort and they want to go into the education space or they have a program that they've done before and they want to revamp it. It's time to give it a refresh. Maybe it's been a couple years, they launched it on beta And now they're like, oh my gosh, I really need to make this good because I want to double my prices. I want to sell out my launch. I want to feel super confident in what I'm offering. But they know, oh my gosh, this is going to take me a full-time person for months to do this. And then they have to train this person. So instead they're like, they just call us and we take care of it for them. Um, And it truly is like completely done for you. It's kind of like ghostwriting a book. You know, like our experts, they talk to us and then we translate everything to a program and all they have to do is record the videos. Uh, so it's a pretty sweet deal. It's, it's a it's a really snazzy offering that they just, they love to to take advantage of and outsource, outsource their course. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Got it. So going a little bit deeper into that then, who would you say is your ideal client and what like other benefits maybe then that you haven't already mentioned would be... Um, them and choosing you to help build their courses? Yeah. Like I said, I think there's really, there's three kinds of people that come to us. One is someone who has a business and they're going to education space. So for example, um, we worked with Nick Bradley and Rob Williams, who are acquisition entrepreneurs. They have a background in private equity and they wanted to teach regular business owners how to grow and scale through acquisitions. So that was one program where it's like they know a whole ton of things, but they don't know how to teach and they don't have the time to pull something together. So they just hire us. We also have people who, as I mentioned, have a program. They launched it on beta. 
it's okay, but it's not really great. And they want to make it outstanding. They want to help their learners get more results more quickly. They want to include, uh, we use neuro-linguistic programming inside of all of our, our program design. And so they want to start to include some of those hacks that get people to take action and get into momentum quicker. So that's another type of person. They just, they really want to revamp and they don't want to do it themselves. And then um, we also have quite a few speakers come to us and like, they're really good at keynotes. They're doing in person. Um, they typically have a book or something that like helps get their name out there, but they don't have any kind of virtual offering that they don't have to trade time for. So they want something that someone could take as a follow-up to a keynote and uh, take the program and, and see the results that, that actually helps them apply what they learn in the keynote. So all those different kinds of people and I, yeah, the main benefits are just, hey, your students are super fans now because they're part of a program. They can't believe how good it is. This is like the one benefit to the course graveyard everybody talks about, you know, like courses are dime a dozen and everybody's doing them nowadays. So how do I make mine stand out? Well, the good news is if you just have really sound instructional design, if you just help people get the results in the easiest way possible, it's, it's less and less difficult to stand out by just having a really rock solid program because so many people are out there doing it, thinking they know what they're doing and they don't. Yeah. You said so many people are out there um, doing it. Um, and just making other other kind of courses uh, like this. Yeah, there's like, there's definitely a lot of people who will create some kind of course that maybe they're not putting too much thought into it. And it is maybe this lower quality program. So um, as the point that you're making, courses are so popular now, but that also means that a lot of people making courses are not really necessarily doing them the right way or putting enough really care into them where when either if somebody wants to do it themselves or if you help someone, they're able to come up with this result that when, when you're able to get the result for the student, it's really powerful and it, it stands on its own just like that, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we often talk about, okay, what are the three ways to grow a business, right? It's like one, you can get new customers. So you can go to Facebook ads, YouTube, organic, whatever it is, and you get more customers. Two, you can increase the transaction value, meaning you raise your prices or you add an order bump or an upsell or some kind of VIP option so that that person who comes in, they now you know, buy more with you. But the third one, the one that people always forget is repurchases and referrals. That is the easiest to close. And so it's like, wow, it, what is the best? If you have, if you have a course kind of course, group coaching, membership, one of these kinds of online offerings, the easiest way to get more clients is to do a good job so that they buy more, they buy again, and they tell all their friends about it. Like, yep. if you just had one referral for every three clients, what would that do to your business? And like, you're, you don't have to pay Facebook ads to go find those people. So I think it's just like one of those things when we put it in terms like that, Duh, of course I should spend time making a really solid program other than just the fact that I want to help people get results is that comes back to you. That's like really good karma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely I agree. That's super important. I think either I made a YouTube video about it or uh, we made a blog post or both maybe even of how important it is that like when you have these customers, like don't stop there. You can sell them something else. And um, even if you've made a course, you're still not done. You can make more courses. You can make a coaching offering. There's so much more 
that your audience probably wants to get that from you. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, some creators, especially when they're starting out, think like, okay, well, I made my product, I sold it. Now I've got to go find new customers. And yes, you can do that. Um, but you can also sell something additional to your existing customer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's cheaper to do that too, usually. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to go get new ones. Yeah. Definitely. So at Heights, we place a lot of importance in creating tools that help students learn. So can you share some tips to help creators craft courses that will facilitate learning and keep students better engaged? Yes. Um, one thing I'll just reiterate, you want to have the right amount of content. So we don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want what I call Goldilocks amount. You want the just right amount of content that they're going to be able to get through, take an action and see a result. So that's one thing. Um, I'd also say just like when you're planning a launch or sales and marketing, you often start from with the end in mind, right? You reverse engineer, okay, I want this many clients at this rate, which will give me this much revenue, with, which will give me this much profit after I pay team and myself, et cetera. So we start with the end in mind. You want to do the same thing with your program. So when I'm crafting a lesson, right, which to me is a five to 15 minute video piece of content that someone will take and then see a result, my first question is what's the action steps? What are the action steps they're going to take as a result of this video? Because the results don't come from watching your video. They don't. They come from the person, you know, filling out the spreadsheet or posting the thing on Facebook or whatever the action is for your, for your, your topic. So yep. start with the end in mind and then chunk it back. And even when I'm planning a lesson, I then chunk back. Once I have the action steps, then I think about, okay, how am I going to lead them to the action steps? So you just, you know, always be thinking with that end in mind. Um, and then in terms of chunking up your program, this is the terminology I use. So we have the program, right, which is the, the main transformation, the, the program name. And then we have modules, which are like your stepping stones to that transformation. They're bigger chunks of content. And then I break down modules into lessons, which are those five to 15 minute quick hit versions, uh, quick hit pieces of content. So if you want to make your program as binge worthy as Netflix, <laughs> you want to make sure you have these little tiny slices of content that they can feel like, oh, I'm really excited. And you also create an open loop into what's coming next. Kind of like a cliffhanger, you know, like at the end of every lesson, reiterate, here's the action step you're going to take. I'll see you in the next lesson. I'm so excited because once you do this, you're going to be able to and then open loop into what's coming next. So yep. those are just a couple things. Make sure it's the right amount of content. Make sure it's chunked appropriately. And then start with the end in mind. Always do action steps first. Yep. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, and we, we have the same like terminology inside Heights of how everything's organized with your content. And that's something that we say as well, that it's better to, uh, I, I guess a lot of creators tend to sometimes make the mistake of making too long of a lesson. And it's better to have the shorter lesson, like the five to 15 minute, like you're saying, because also like you're saying, you want you want your course to be binge worthy. And just like the, the first point is when you're creating a course, maybe you're not already like an instructional designer, but the second part is maybe you're not really an entertainer either. And yeah. you want your content to be entertaining enough for people to actually go and get through it. Mm -hmm. And when you have these like two hour lectures, 
in each of your lessons, that's like a whole movie if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And so even if someone's really motivated and wants to go through all of, the, all of that and does go through all of that, even when they do that, it's hard to absorb it correctly and it's hard to remember from that, okay, I just watched two hours. Well, what am I supposed to do from here? So mm-hmm. a lot of the value comes in actually breaking that down into the smaller steps and saying, okay, here's this video. Now these are the steps that you need to take. Then you go into the next video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And there's so much you can do as well with, with, with these platforms. Like you don't have to have a video. This is something that comes up a lot. Yep. People like think I need a video for every lesson. No, you can just have a written lesson. You can just have a written lesson with a workbook. Like there's different ways to meet these different learners other than just, you know, talking head or even just screen share. So start to think about that as well. Like how can we meet all these learners and help, help move them along that path? to the, the result. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, is there any kind of uh, like gamifi- gamification techniques or tools or other things that you would implement in online courses that you work on? Uh, yeah, we do some gamification for sure. I think the biggest uh, myth about gamification is that it's points and prizes. When we hear that word gamification, we think points and prizes. And actually the thing that people want the most is status. You know, they want that feeling of significance. So if you're going for, if if you're trying to think, okay, what are some easy, quick things I can do for gamification rather than thinking, what swag am I going to send out? Or, you know, how can I turn what they're doing into points? Start to consider what are the key behaviors I want to take, I want them to take those milestones I want them to achieve? And then how can I give them status as a result of that? Can they get a certain name in your community? Can they be added to a leaderboard? Can they like, can they be recognized? Like if you've ever heard about like the award ceremony strategy where once a quarter you look at the different milestones you want your students to achieve and then you give them public praise, almost like a graduation of sorts, right? For the people mm-hmm. inside your program, you do it publicly on Facebook or wherever. And you're like, these people, you know, achieved this milestone because they did X thing. So rather than when it comes to gamification specifically, just think, what are the milestones you really want them to achieve? What are the key behaviors you want to see them doing on a consistent basis? And then how can you give them status for that? Uh, and then second to status is access. So like once you've done X, Y, Z thing, you unlock a private call with the course creator, the, the expert, or you unlock a private group training or something like that. They get more access to you. So status and access over something like uh, swag and and prizes and things. Yeah, I like that. That's a great point. Um, it also made me think of, even when you were saying that, that, um, you're right. Like so many people will associate, okay, well, gamification means points. Um, and there, there's so much more to it, even just in the sense of your own lesson creation, where you mentioned like the shorter lessons that really helps give the student this sense of progression, because Mm -hmm. if they go through, let's say you have the two hour lesson or you have a bunch of 15 minute lessons. When the student goes through all those 15 minute lessons, now they went and they completed all these things. They felt like they really accomplished something versus like, oh, well, I watched a, a two hour lesson, but I only got them one lesson today. Mm-hmm. And so even just how you structure your program can really help that, 
that overall sense of progression and and that's something to consider along with any uh thoughts you might have about mm -hmm. gamification or something like that yeah and a lot of people ask me well if i'm going to do 15 minute lessons how do i do that live like do your do a lot of your um the people on heights do they do live beta launches like group coaching kind of style um yeah that's definitely a popular thing yeah yeah, so then the question is, okay, well, how do I do it live but not do hour-long videos to my community? Um, and I have, I like to teach something called the studio audience method. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever thought about uh, any of the game shows where they have a live studio audience, like The Price is Right, for example, yep. and they have a 15-minute segment and then they cut to commercial, right? And they'll be, be right back. Now, you can do the same thing with your 10, 15, however many people are on, on the call as you're filming it, is in the beginning, you say, hey, this is studio audience method. So I'm gonna teach for 15 minutes and then I'm gonna cut and we're gonna break and we're gonna do, do Q and A and you're gonna have a chance to take some action action steps. Then we're gonna come back and we're gonna do the next 15 minute seconds. So you're filming a lesson at a time with the live studio audience there and they get like that Q and A time in between. But those 15 minute segments, that's what you upload into the portal. So there is a way so, to like do it, you know? Yeah. Well, when you tell people that, are they usually delivering those 15 minute segments like all in the same day and breaking it up or is it multiple days? It's usually in the same day. So if you think about like an hour, like a module is an hour long. So mm -hmm. let's say there's like five lessons inside of that hour long module, right? And some are 10, some are five, some are 15, et cetera. So when they're presenting it live, they do, you know, the five minute teaching and then they hit end on the recording and they take a little break and then they come back and they do the lesson two, 15 minutes or however long it is. So it's like you're, you're filming these mini segments while people are on live with you. So you still get, because a lot of people have trouble filming by themselves at a computer because there's no energy coming back. It's just you talking to a screen and these mm -hmm. star expert personalities, they struggle with, I'm just, I, I can't just talk to a screen. I have to have some feedback from some people. <laughs> Um, so it, 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 it works for both of those reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. So a common struggle that we see among online course creators is also improving the completion rates of your course. So as a creator, of course, you want to be ensuring that those who purchase the course are going to actually complete it. So what would you suggest to creators who want to improve their completion rates? You might not like my answer. Um, this is something I totally stand against, is the idea that course completion rates are an indicator of your success. Because it depends on the program. Okay, so that is the caveat. It depends on the program. But most of the programs I've ever taken as a student, I have not nearly completed, but I have gotten my results from every single one. There are a, a, there's a lot of content in a lot of courses and you don't actually need all of the content to get the result. For example, like three weeks ago, I bought an email marketing mini course. I didn't watch a single video. My course completion rate would be zero. But what I did is I went in and I took the resources and I stripped them out and used them. I totally got the results from that course. But if you look at that number, Jasmine is a terrible student who hated your stuff, <laughs> right? So yep. I think 
yes, is it something we want to look at? Sure. It can tell us valuable things like what are the lessons that students seem to be watching the most? That lets you know what they're most interested in, what their biggest problem is. If you have, um, like we did one course recently, it was like a, a weight loss health kind of course. They really had to watch like the first half of the course in order to get the results. Like they just weren't going to get it unless they had those four pieces. But the back half of the course was more like supplemental what if kinds of questions like, you know, okay, well, I, I get this, but what if I just had a baby? Maybe that makes a difference in, in then getting the results. So first is like, don't take this course completion rate as an indicator of your success, because most of the time it's just not true. You actually want to look at what do they actually need to complete to get the, the results. And what are your testimonials saying? What's your net promoter score? right? On a scale of one to 10, how likely are they to refer you? Those are the kinds of things that are, are going to be tracking your success in repurchases and referrals more than did they actually watch the thing because you can flip it. There's plenty of courses people have watched the entire thing of, but didn't get any results. Yep. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm really glad this was your answer actually. So um, because no, I, I completely agree with that. And, um, like I have countless examples myself of, um, getting a result from something, but not going all the way through it. And everybody has, um, like in your case, like the course you mentioned, getting that result was dependent on you going and looking at the workbook. And, but for somebody else, that's going to be different for somebody else. Maybe the result that they're looking for is going to be through some videos in that or something else, you know? Um, an example I think of for myself is, uh, when I started reading, uh, the four hour work week, um, by Tim Ferriss, like shortly after that came out, um, I didn't finish the book and I thought to myself, okay, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's all right. makes sense. I'm going to go travel the world now and go do that. <laughs> and, um, and I went and did it. And, um, so I feel like for me in that case, it was kind of providing me like the example and like validation that like, oh, this is possible. And that's all I needed from it. I didn't need to hear like the additional steps. And yeah, for everybody, that's going to be different. So um, it's a great point that you make. And I think that it's really important to not not make it as like an excuse for yourself. If if you say, oh, no one logged into my course at all, like that's fine. They, they, maybe they're still getting a result. Um, no, um, but definitely like it's not the like be all end all indicator of yeah. if people are actually getting results or not with your course. Yeah. And if nobody's opening it, then you probably have an onboarding process issue just yeah heads up there that's really that is important um, yeah definitely you want to make sure that they at least get into it <laughs> yeah for sure um so let's talk a little bit about some online learning trends what kind of trends do you see happening in online courses and what is your kind of forecast for the future as a online course expert uh one would be micro niches micro niches, whichever way you say that word. Um, mm -hmm. I think that because more and more people are coming into the space, which is great, what you need to stand out is to be really, really dialed in on your niche. So if you're Tony Robbins or Brendan Burchard, sure, you can go put out a productivity course and it will sell because you have the brand presence, you have the reach, you have the audience, like you could pretty much put out anything and it would sell. 
However, if you're just getting started, if you're, you know, if you haven't done six figures in, in courses yet, then your productivity course would be like how to help moms with toddlers get more done in a three hour nap than, you know, I don't know, whatever the opposite is, like in a, in a, in a five day work week using your proprietary method, right? So it's like, instead of going wide, you really, really got to go narrow. So I see that working really, really well is micro niches. Um, another way the industry is moving is uh, shifting the way that we view community, especially with like Web3 coming out. Like more and more people are just really concerned about community and being aligned with the values of the community that you're providing. People are seeing that as more of a, a benefit than ever before. So whether or not you have a community, I would consider either starting one or how you can make it better. People are moving off of Facebook groups. They're moving into things like Circle. Um, they're giving things like Voxer group access. They're doing things like um, even Instagram DM groups. I've started to see that. Slack channels. Like what are the different ways that based on who you're serving, you can create a, a, a group forum, for lack of a better word, using intentional technology. Um, so I'm seeing that. And hey, I'm seeing live events come back, like with a force. <laughs> so if there's some kind of live event component to what you do, say jump on that soon, get, get back on that bandwagon if you haven't already. Um, and even providing like meetups, depending on if your community is local or across the world, like finding ways to create meetups so people can connect in person because it's, yeah, that's coming back a lot, a lot right now. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with all those and I'm, I'm seeing the same things, uh, mm -hmm. here as well. Um, I have kind of a selfish question for you related to the community actually. So, um, Definitely, we're we're seeing that become more and more popular, um, but uh, we're maybe not at a crossroads. Maybe that's not the best way to say it. But we're trying to figure out how we can improve our own community features inside Heights. And um, I guess the dilemma is where do we draw the line between what is the best way for the potential student or member to get access to like past questions that were similar versus creating this community space that is just something that everyone kind of wants to be a part of and interact with each other, um, but might not provide like direct answers um, in that way as immediately. Um, and I guess what I mean by that to describe it a little bit more. So we have like right now, we have more of a traditional kind of forum structure of our like community software. And it's really easy to find like a past post and then see what people are talking about and add a comment to that. And I am seeing more and more though, that community platforms that people end up choosing sometimes for their business ends up being something like even Slack or Discord or Instagram DMs. And some of those tools, like they will have search features, but I don't feel like they really work as well in the sense of providing value for the students to learn from each other with like past conversations. It's more about what is currently being discussed in the community. So I guess my question then is, do you have any opinions about that um, 
whether that's better or worse or whether like people really see the most value or have the most desire for just the community of people to engage with or is it important and valuable enough for people to be able to kind of reference those past conversations easier? I think it depends a little bit on the program and like who you're attracting into it. Like if it's a very strategic, almost scientific, I'm seeing like a lot of screen share videos, technical kind of program. Like I'm thinking about a YouTube program we did. Like it was very technical. Then I would see the forum being way more valuable. However, if we're thinking about um, like a different program, which is a podcasting, like how to start a podcast program. They love the community because they get guests based on the community, commu- like the community building that they're doing, what's going on right now, like different ways to do different things. So I want to like caveat it with that. Um, if I had to make a judgment call, like one way or the other, I would say having the member directory with the ability to see what's most recent now would be the thing that people want more, you know, across the board. I'm not saying hundred percent, but overall I see that being what people want. And there are ways that you can take all of that data, that user data and questions that they have and turn it into, in your instance, like FAQ kind of help center content, you know, you could turn those into like user manuals or blog posts or FAQs or whatever, so that they still have access to that user-generated feedback, but it's not in a forum. It's more in like a a help portal, which for courses that can look like a workbook or an FAQ section in a module. But for you guys as a SaaS, it would look like, uh, what do you call call that? Like your help center or something? Yeah, like a knowledge base or something almost. Um, But yeah, I mean, I could even see that though as... So what you're saying is like, even if there's a more, um, a community, more like something like a Discord or Slack where it's more immediate in the conversations, um, there could be a separate section in there where you as the creator, you have your own kind of moderation to say like, hey, this is some highlighted FAQs or discussions that everybody might want to check out. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Yeah, like a resources cool. section or something. Mm-hmm. All right. And then... Uh, with uh, working with your clients, you probably see so many online courses. So what would you say, um, at least in your experience, are the biggest mistakes that course creators tend to make? Well, we've covered a couple of them. One being, I'm going to put everything I know into a program. <laughs> Numero uno. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two being not having action steps at the end of every lesson so they know exactly what they need to do. Number three being um, meeting all learners, all different types of learners, right? So we have visual, we have auditory, we have kinesthetic learners. Uh, Visual learners are typically taken care of, which is good because they're the biggest part of the population. I think it's 65% are visual learners and they learn by watching. Um, So a video is helpful to them. Slide deck, especially showing some, some kind of process, even more helpful to them. Uh, but you also have these auditory learners. One of my favorite ways to do that is to take your your uh, course and turn it into a podcast. 
So now you have a private podcast feed. Uh, if you talk, want to talk about course completion rates, <laughs> it will go through the roof because they will listen on repeat now, whether or not they take the action. But if they have that repetition, they will ingrain a lot more. They'll retain a lot more than if they were just, they had to log into a portal and watch something, especially for your auditory learners. So taking care of them with, with something like that, which is better than just like an MP3 download because sometimes it's hard to get those on. It's just not very user-friendly, okay? Yeah. Um, and then you have your kinesthetic learners and they're gonna do really well with like note-taking. So having some mechanism for them to take notes on what you're doing, yeah, they can like pull up a piece of paper and do it on their themselves. But if you have something that's branded and beautiful, like a workbook or a manual, something that they can follow along with and take notes as they go, they'll also learn it on a new level. And of course, anybody can combine these things. You know, I like to sometimes listen to an audiobook as I'm reading it and taking notes. Holy cow, do I remember those books. <laughs> uh, so of course, like meeting all learners. Um, that's probably the third thing I, I would say is like, they're doing one, but not both. And so then you're leaving out a big part of the population that you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I like that point. Definitely. Um, we try to think of that in our own software design um, and understanding that not every creator understands um, or is like an instructional designer themselves. Yeah. They're a creator. They want to focus on what it is that they do in business. And so besides that, you can add like an audio file or a video file. Um, we have an option where students can go in and bookmark lessons or can take notes on lessons. So that way it's kind of built in for you that the student has those options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. So my last question for you is we like to ask all of our guests um, if they have any questions for our audience. So if you could ask our audience anything, what would that be? I would love to know how you currently surprise and delight your students. Um, and from another perspective, if you're just new and getting started, as a student, what are some of the ways that your teachers have surprised and delighted you inside of online programs? Because I think oh, awesome. if we could crowdsource that, we'd all walk away with some really cool strategies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, that the answers answers to that can be uh, some really powerful information, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, before you get going, can you tell me where can people find you online? Yeah. Uh, so everything's under my name, jasminejante.com, jasminejante on Instagram, jasminejante on Facebook. Very easy to find. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jasmine. Thank you. If you enjoyed this interview and want a chance to ask questions to our guests live, tune in on Tuesdays when new episodes premiere on the Heights Platform Facebook page. To learn more about the show and get notified when new episodes release, check out thecreatorsadventure.com. Until then, keep learning, and I'll see you in the next episode.